We're starting a new series today in the book of Hebrews. If you join me there, Hebrews, looking forward to getting into that. Hebrews and chapter one. Thought that'd be a good place to start. Amen. Chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. Actually, we are going to turn over to chapter 13, the last chapter. Um, so we're going to begin at the beginning and, and at the end all at the same time. I think it'll be a help to us. Um, and so I'm looking forward. I'll save comments for after we've read our text and get into the message here this morning. So Hebrews towards the end of the New Testament, got Hebrews, then James, and, and then uh, uh, the rest of the books of the New Testament. So a good portion, um, two thirds of our Bible is the Old Testament and a third the New Testament, roughly speaking in terms of size and content. And everything here, uh, if I could hit Matthew real quick, everything up to uh, this point is, um, is all saying he's coming. And this part is saying he came and he's coming again. All right. And there's things over here that say he's coming again too, but it's, uh, it all works together. And so Hebrews is such a book that it really does tie it all together. So here we go. God. <laughs> We could stop there probably, right? And just cover that, try to. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the prophets, the fathers by the prophets rather, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Well, the mention of the son begins a series of, of um, clauses and phrases that refer to the son. Spoken to us in these last days by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. <laughs> Who? being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down indicating finished, <laughs> sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. <laughs> That's about all we're going to be able to cover here this morning. I don't anticipate we're going to do it justice. But let's read on here just a little bit. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained, and more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. A man doesn't deserve worship. An angel doesn't deserve worship. God and God alone deserves worship. So if it says worship him and it's referencing Jesus, then that means he's God. 
worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God. How about that? Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So our new series is entitled this, Fulfilled in Christ. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. I, I look forward to explaining just that. Fulfilled in Christ. And this morning, we're just going to get started with this, the glory of the Son of God. Hope you'd consider that with me here this morning, the glory of the Son of God. Of God, I'd like to pray one more time as we get into this new series. So, Father, we're unworthy to handle your word. And of these truths, God, they're beyond us. They're of greater significance than we can even fathom. And so, God, I look forward to emphasizing our Savior week by week and dealing with us as well as the writer does. So please help us get the right kind of start. And I, you, I pray it would accomplish what you intended for it to accomplish in its original purposes, which are your purposes to this very day. I pray that in the course of this study, that we would get to know our Savior better. As, as uh, greater than all. Lord, as we get to know him as as the son and as the priest and as the king, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray for anyone that would come in these doors and sit among the saints that have not deserved sainthood, that's for sure, but it's been given to us through Jesus and his finished work. But I pray for any that would come in these doors that would sit here with us and they would read these same words, but they wouldn't know the Savior. I pray that through this, that they might know Him personally and be saved and forgiven of sin and given a home in heaven, God, and that they'd begin to grow spiritually. So God, help us, I pray, in this uh, new series. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you might wonder why Hebrews... Why not go right into Mark? Well, one answer to that is that we preach Mark, not that we couldn't preach it again. Certainly, I'd like to preach uh, back through some of the Bible books that we've been through. <clears throat> I do have a personal goal to preach through every book of the Bible. And so that's uh, what we're on a journey of, just uh, moving the ribbon of your Bible. Uh, it's kind of, we've been on a journey that way. Uh, through from Genesis on, and we've, we've been in New Testament, different services as well. But uh, here we are in Hebrews. So you might say, why Hebrews? Well, um, as we finish the book of Matthew, and if you were with us in that series, then you know that a good portion of what Matthew was uh, under inspiration intending to accomplish was to help those that had a Jewish background to understand that Jesus was indeed, without question, the Christ, the promised Messiah. That he fulfilled all those. How many times did we come to in our study of Matthew's gospel? How many times did we come to him saying that it might be fulfilled, which was written saying? That it might be fulfilled saying? That it might, I believe it was at least 16 different times, if not more. That's just off the top of my, 
mind uh, here this morning, but he did that over and over again, not just for a Jewish audience, but also for a largely Gentile audience. In fact, it's affected us all the way to this day uh, here in Oklahoma City at Southwest Baptist Church. And, and we are encouraged by the great truth that Jesus is King. And so that's why we've been there in the, the book of Matthew. And so as I was nearing the end of the study of Matthew, I really began to sense God's leadership. And I do try to pray and seek his face about where we're to be because of the way that a particular study of a book of the Bible. And that, by the way, that doesn't mean that we won't along the way and shouldn't along the way do some more topical type messages where we hit a certain topic. I, I probably need to do that. And every time I go to preach a topical message, it turns into an expository message. So it's not my fault. It just is the way it goes. And I get into one text. I think, oh man, why go anywhere else? That's that's plenty right there. But but there is a place for topical preaching where you drop, uh, I'm sorry, a, address some of the pertinent subjects or topics of the day. But here's, here's what I found just in the pastoral role trying to preach through the Bible, that if we will indeed be faithful to preach the Bible, then the Bible will cause us to address the different topics that God wants us to in a way that I wouldn't even think about. And that's what's happened in the course of time. And so uh, we're giving ourselves to that. So as I prayed about it, the book of Hebrews comes to mind and came to mind, came to heart. And, and, and really just kind of that transition as Matthew's making the case that he's the Messiah, making the case to the Jews, making the case to the Gentiles. Here we have the book of Hebrews, as you might imagine. It's written to largely a Jewish audience, though certainly there would be Gentile saints mixed in the, in the mix as well, but obviously by the very title, Hebrews, not a coffee. <laughs> Terrible joke. Anyways, Hebrews, and it's written for a Jewish uh, group with that background. And, and we'll get into some of the background even this morning a little bit. Uh, Irving Jensen wrote a survey of the Old Testament, survey of the New Testament. It's got charts, graphs, and a lot of good helps in it. And he, uh, he said that many refer to this book of Hebrews as the fifth gospel. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and then some say this is like the fifth gospel in the sense that it tells us who Jesus is, what he did, but it also tells us who he is still and what he's currently doing. That he is, listen to this, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father at this very hour. And it tells us uh, what he's going to do. So I can see why some would refer to it that way. Fulfilled in Christ, that series title, uh, Fulfilled in Christ, a little bit of a double Meaning is, is what I've got heart in heart and mind, fulfilled in Christ in this sense, the Old Testament fulfilled in him. But also this way, you're not going to find fulfillment in life outside of Jesus Christ. You won't find it in your career. No matter how good it is, you won't find fulfillment in a career. Thank God for careers and, and roles and all those things. You won't find it in money. You won't find it in a house. You won't find it in a car. You won't find it in a new phone. Like you needed a new one anyways, right? 
But we're, we're uh, taught in our society, you got to upgrade, 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 man. Oh man, hey, listen, never fulfilled. If you, I swear, I'm not <laughs> anticipating anybody here finds their fulfillment in the phone, though you might act like it. Okay, anyways, that wasn't in my notes and I probably just offended somebody, but I, I'm just simply trying to make the case that you're not going to find fulfillment in modern technology. You're not going to find fulfillment in materialism. There's one place, dear friend, where you will find fulfillment, and that is in Jesus Christ, and thus fulfilled in Christ is what we're looking at here. The Old Testament is fulfilled in him. In fact, um, I'm forgetting now who made reference to this. Oh, no, I, I've got it here. Thomas Strauss, uh, Brother, uh, Brother Rocky Harrell put me on to him as a writer. Very good resource. This man, Thomas Strauss, if I'm saying his last name correctly, he states that there are 86 different references in Hebrews to the Old Testament. So that tells you right there, there's a lot of connections in terms of references and, and, and to the book of Hebrews. I'm reading through, maybe like many of you are right now, the book of Exodus, just finished that, and the book of Leviticus, and all that is pointing towards Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself said this in John chapter number five, as he's interacting with the Pharisees, he says, for had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me. He says, for he, Moses, who wrote, the first five books of the Old Testament, Moses. He, Jesus says, Moses, he wrote of me. Moses wrote about me. Well, that didn't set real well with the Pharisees, but it's true. Moses wrote about Jesus. Later, after his resurrection in Luke chapter number 24 and verse number 44, he, it's, he's speaking to the two men that were on the road to Emmaus, about six miles outside of, of Jerusalem, and they were down, downhearted, distraught, thinking that he was going to set up his kingdom and all those things, and yet he was dead, and they were so perplexed about these things. Little did they know that this man that had joined them on their journey from Jerusalem was none other than the risen Savior. And he spoke to them and he said to them, he said unto them in verse 44, he said, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. All things must be fulfilled, which were written, and he mentions three areas, in the law of Moses, and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus says what Moses wrote, what the prophets wrote, what David and Asaph and others wrote in the book of Psalms, all points in one direction to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are privileged on top of the Old Testament to have the completed New Testament to know who he is. This uh, book was largely written as a word of exhortation. Find your place in, in chapter 13, would you just briefly? Chapter 13, I want you to see this. Chapter 13 and verse number 22, I'll join you there here in just a few moments. A word of exhortation, another word for exhortation would be a word of encouragement. Encouragement. 
We need a word of encouragement in a world filled with discouragement. We just heard a, a message. In fact, if you wanted a little bit more background than what I'm going to really provide even this morning, uh, go on the Heartland Baptist Bible College website and you should be able there to get to the church planning conference and listen to the Thursday night message by Brother Rich Rossiter, pastors down in Florida. And he preached out of Hebrews chapter number two. And I'm telling you, that was just confirmation to me. All right, this is where we're going. So good. So good. It was a real help and a blessing. He was talking to church planners and he himself is a church planner and the church has uh, been in existence now for a good, good bit. I'm forgetting the timeline, maybe 10 years, something like that. But when they started out in the, in the church planting effort, they began meeting in a doctor's office, which doesn't sound too bad, but technically it was a sleep institute. How would you like to invite your friends? Hey, come to church. Where do you meet? Uh, doctor's office. Oh, that's great. Which one? Uh, it's actually a sleep institute. He would preach in the sleep institute. Say, man, how appropriate. Maybe that's what this is. No, no. But he talked about that and he said, you know, it's kind of, it, it was discouraging along the ways. I think that they were in that sleep institute at least four years, maybe five or six years, something like that. While other churches, almost like churches that come out of a box, spring up and man, they've got these nice big buildings and everything. And here we are in a sleep institute. And, and when you compare yourself, you can begin to feel a little bit inferior to what others have as they were meeting there in that sleep institute with eight, well, he, he has more than that in his family, but uh, 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 maybe not at the time. But anyways, he, uh, you know, with 10 to 15 to 20 people and it's kind of feeling like, man, why are we here when they've got the big building there? And he tied it into the book of Hebrews, how that this, this group that would have been the recipient of this letter would have been looking at the, at the temple there in Jerusalem that had not yet been destroyed. So we know for sure that this was prior to 70 AD. And the temple was still there. The priesthood was still in existence. The gold and the robes, and they've got all that. And they looked at one another, their 10 to 15 or however many was gathered there. And they thought, man, maybe we ought to just go back to what we had. All we've got is just you and me and Christ Jesus. They needed some perspective, maybe like you do and I do as well today. In fact, Mr. Jensen said this, Hebrews was written to rekindle, listen to this, it was written to rekindle a dampened fire. And maybe even this morning, you've been in church a long time and maybe your fire for the Lord has just kind of gone down. A fainting spirit, he goes on, dying enthusiasm, dullness of hearing were the emergency of the hour. I wonder if in this day and time, if there's not perhaps a fainting spirit, dying enthusiasm and dullness of hearing that constitutes an emergency in this hour. Well, listen, let me submit this to you before we move on. If there is a fainting spirit and if there is dying enthusiasm and if there is dullness of hearing, it is not because our Savior has lost his glory. It's just that we've lost sight of it. 
and need to be reminded just like they did then. We need to be reminded now. And the writer of Hebrews, who I believe to be Paul, and I'm not even going to go into that big discussion. There are chapters written about that that I'm not, not, not even going to go into. But, but nonetheless, uh, the writer here does what he does through the teaching and then through warning and exhortation. Okay, and so he's going to do that. Andrew Murray said this. He said, he, the author, unceasingly, listen to this, places their weakness and Christ's person side by side. He is sure that if they but know Christ, all will be well. So that's what I'd really like to do in this series is put our weakness side by side with his greatness and then I think you'll realize no matter how bad it may be right now, dear friend, all will be well because he is well. I'm not well. You're not well. We're not well. But he is. Amen. See. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 22, look at it. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. Everybody see that? And I beseech you, brethren. This is at the very end of the letter. He says, I beseech you, brethren, suffer or allow, um, endure patiently, endure patiently, um, put up with, bear with, accept as valid. It's got that idea as I look up the definition. Listen to this. Uh, in fact, in, as Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, the time is coming. Well, they, they will not, they will not um, endure. There's the word. They will not endure sound doctrine. They won't put up with it. They want something else that will razzle and dazzle them. But, but what you ought to do, Timothy, is preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Preach when it's, when it's in vogue. Preach when it's not in vogue you, you, or popular. Listen, you don't, you don't determine the type of ministry that you're going to have based on what society wants and desires. No, just preach the Bible and that'll be enough. That's the idea that Paul's saying. But the time will come when they will not endure. So here the writer of Hebrews says, I beseech you, brethren, after 13 chapters, suffer the word of exhortation. In other words, keep listening to this, this word of exhortation. Word, word right there. It's the word that's in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the logos. Some of you even know the Greek word of that. The logos. In the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But, but the word logos there, the word, the word, word, you with me? The word, word means here, the word of exhortation means this, the message, the message. So he says, he says here, uh, suffer the word or the message of exhortation. The word exhortation uh, means encouragement. It literally is made up of two words, uh, which means to call alongside of, to help. You might, uh, you might need some help. Um, it, it happened in some small ways here just recently. I had my hands full. Hey, could you open the door? You ever do that? Come on, you've tried to open the door by yourself and everything went everywhere, right? So get some help. Hey, I need some help here. Well, along the way in the Christian life, you and I need some help. And he says, listen, I've written this to you as a message or as a word of encouragement because they were discouraged, disheartened, downtrodden, defeated in their minds. And he says, listen, I've written, I've written this to you to be a word, a message of encouragement. 
So he says, it is a message, it is a word. I have written a letter unto you in a few words. And so it is a letter. It, it is a letter. If you notice, just let's keep reading here a little bit. Notice in verse number 23, know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty. So the author knows Timothy. Sure sounds like Paul right here, which with whom if I come shortly, I will see you and, and salute all them that have the rule over you, et cetera, et cetera. He goes on. But the point I want to make right here is that he refers to it as a letter, yes, but it also is a word of exhortation, yes. The idea that I came across in the study in preparation for this is that it is a message. It is basically a sermon. Yeah, is it a letter? Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, fine. Yes, it is. He said it is. But he also said it's a word of exhortation, which means this, it is a, it is a sermon. So what we're looking at, dear friend, is this. An inspired, incredibly well-crafted, well, the inspiration will take care of that. Preserved, Christ-honoring, manuscripted sermon. I've got my sermon notes for the next several months. All I got to do is just understand them and get them across to you. I am preaching somebody else's notes. I didn't get it online. I got it in the Bible. Now, Peter said, Paul wrote some things to some Hebrews. First Peter, they're scattered abroad, some Jews. And he said, Peter said, he wrote some things, Paul did, that are hard to be understood. And you come to the book of Hebrews and you say, Peter must have had this in mind. Because there are some things in here hard to be understood. But are we to shy away from God's word just because it's hard to be understood? There, everything here is meant for our understanding and our learning and our exhortation and our warning and our help. Hey, I'm looking forward to digging into this, praying for God's good help. I hope you'll pray as well. The word of exhortation. They were drawing a lot of heat, even persecution. They wanted to go back to what they knew. If you've been saved any length of time, you've had some times when you've probably said, at least in your mind, maybe not out loud. It's easier if I just went back to what I was doing before I got in church. Be easier just to give up on church. Okay, let me ask a show of hands. How many of you have thought that as a believer, oh, look at all the hands. My hand's up. I thought that this morning. <laughs> hey, that's real. So what his point is basically throughout the whole book is why go back when what you have is not the picture. You've got the fulfillment. It'd be like this. You've been all excited about a certain restaurant coming. Um, you know, we don't have one here that I know of, but In-N-Out, you know, some of you from California know about In-N-Out. And when it was coming to Texas, I mean, all the, all the people down there, they're so excited, man, coming soon, In-N-Out, animal style fries, all that. I mean, that's, they were so excited about that. We had a student, came back to my mind, we had a student, I'm not gonna name his name, but we had a student that drove all the way down from Oklahoma City to get a cheeseburger at In-N-Out. 
and got enough for his friends. I don't know how good it was by the time he got back. But anyways, got enough for his friend. Man, so excited about in and out It's coming soon, coming soon. I know for sure this has been the way. If you've traveled I-44, going up towards Springfield, coming soon, Bucky's, all that, you know what I mean? Big hype. We, we stopped in there. I know not why. The whole state of Missouri was in that one location. Craziness, craziness. But how crazy would it be, you know, if, if once that In-N-Out came or Bucky's came or whatever it is, that the people said, hey, where'd this sign go? I want that in. I want that sign that says coming soon. <clears throat> it's here. Go up in order with everybody else that's here. Why would you want the sign that says coming soon when it's here? That's what they wanted in Hebrews. They were saying, we want to go back to the sign that he's coming soon. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, he came. Why go back to the sign that he's coming soon? Why go back to the priesthood? Why go back to the temple? Why go back to those sacrifices? He came and he shed his blood for you. So much better. It's easy to lose sight of the glory of Christ, the honor, the majesty, the splendor, the unchanging beauty of our Savior. It's easy to lose sight of that. But when you lose sight of it, friend, you don't worship him like you ought to worship him. You don't praise him like you ought to praise him. The words don't capture you in the song because he's not, somehow you've lost sight. It's not that he's changed. You've changed. You don't give him as much of your life as maybe you used to. You, you complain about life because you've lost sight of Christ. The rebellious Christian has lost sight of the glory of Christ. The Christian living in sin has lost sight of the glory of Christ. The discouraged have lost sight of the glory of Christ. The angry have lost sight of the glory of Christ. The too busy for church have lost sight of the glory of Christ. The too busy for worship, too busy for serving him, and too busy for the word have lost sight of the glory of Christ. Oh, that we get back and join the songwriter as he says, there is a name that I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. My uncle that was saved and he, he said, if, if I had a thousand lives and every life a thousand head, heads, and every head a thousand tongues, he say, I could not begin to tell how good God's been to Walter K. Ayers. We could do a whole series just on his glory, the glory of his name, the glory of his preeminence, the glory of his authority, the glory of his dominion, the glory of his birth, the glory of his life, the glory of his preaching, the glory of his cross, the glory of his resurrection, the glory of his ascension, the glory of his return, the glory of his coming kingdom. All we really got to do is just walk through the book of Hebrews and we'll see his glory scene after scene and, and picture after picture as he says, he's the son of God. He's the high priest. He's the coming king. Oh, mercy, friend. Listen, you'll get a fresh glimpse. I pray that you will. 
of his glory. Again, Jensen says the main person of the book of Hebrews is Jesus. The author of the epistle is convinced that all that is necessary to restrain apostasy, forsaking the faith, all that is needed to restrain apostasy is to hold up Christ in all of his dignity. I don't think somebody would get out of church. I, I don't think a church would get off course. I don't, I don't think a believer would get off course if he could just keep his glory in sight. It might be said of Hebrews, he goes on, that it consists of a series of pictures of Jesus, the Lord. We behold him in his deity, his humanity, his sacrificial work, his priestly office, and his kingly glory. He said, after a careful study of the book of Hebrews, one must feel better acquainted with Christ than he ever has before. I pray that'd be the case with you here this morning. God, who spoke in sundry times and in divers' manners. What that means is this, God spoke at different times in history and God spoke in different ways. He used Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and, and other prophets. He spoke through them. He used even hard-hearted prophets like Jonah. And spoke to Israel about hard-hearted Israel using Jonah. He even spoke through people like Samson and, and, and through others like Gideon through the time. Through God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners or in various ways, spake in times past. Listen to what it says right here. He spake. He spake unto us by his son, hath in these last days, if you go back to chapter one, number one now, he spake in, in, in these, has spoken rather unto us by his son. He spake back then, but now he has spoken. It has this finality to it. You and I are privileged to have the greatest message on earth in the completed form of it. When God wanted to reveal himself at this time, he did not send another angel. He did not send another prophet, but rather he himself came. The son of God, the eternal son of God. The son gives the revelation of the father. In fact, there are seven descriptions mentioned here and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I, I, I don't think we'll do it justice here in the time that we have left. But I like just to kind of hit it and then come back to it and hit it again. In fact, we could be months right here. I'm not saying that we will. But he's the heir of all things. The heir of all things, all things the Father has given unto the Son, Jesus said. All power is given unto me, Jesus said. He's Lord of all, dear friend. He's, he's uh, the heir of all things. He made the worlds. You say, I thought God made the worlds. That's right. Well, it said Jesus made the worlds. That's right. Put two and two together, friend. And you got it. Jesus is God who made the worlds. Colossians chapter one, John chapter three, uh, one chapter three, verse three. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator of this world and all the other planets and all the stars. And he spoke the galaxies into existence. What was it you were overwhelmed by? 
What was it that you were discouraged by? What was it that seems like it's got you down? Hey, he spoke and it came into existence. Heir of all things, the brightness, the, the creator of all things, the brightness of his glory, the radiance of his glory. Uh, Peter would say that we saw him. We saw him in his transfiguration. We saw his face as it shone like the sun. The express image of his person, which he told Philip, he said, he that has seen me has seen the father. The express image there just simply means this. He is the exact representation of God because he is God. Upholds all things, verse number three, by the word of his power, upholding all things. You know what that means? That means this, that, that by him, as it says in Colossians in chapter number one, that by him all things consist. Scientists have written, have written dissertations and, and thesis and try to figure out and written books on what keeps molecules together. I'll tell you what it does. I'll tell you what keeps it all together. By him, all things consist. You might be ready to fall apart. Your world may be falling apart, but I'm telling you, friend, he's not panicking. He's not without power. He's not lost control of what's going on in this world or yours either. He's firmly in control. Top of that, verse three, he purged us from our sins. Amen. What does that mean? That means he cleansed us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? Well, that means that like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What, what does that mean? That means this, that, that you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him was no sin. He purged us, he cleansed us from our sins. Some sin could be holding you back right now. It's got you down, got you discouraged, got you beat, got you whipped. Hey, listen, you don't have to live in that. He purged us from our sins. And sat down on the right hand, that place of honor, that place of majesty. In fact, one individual made the case that the whole book of Hebrews is essentially an exposition of Psalm 110 and verse one, which was a Psalm of David that says, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Everything just exp explaining the fact that he is Lord and he's over all. The right hand, as, as Stephen was being stoned, he saw, he looked up into the heavens and he saw heavens open and he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. The majesty on high. The writer of Hebrews is saying this right out of the gate. And you want to go back to what? And evidently there were some of them that were skipping out on church. And he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Evidently some were not showing up for church. Why weren't they showing up for church? Well, the sermon's boring. Well, he's not. <laughs> I, hey, by the way, my goal is not to be boring in preaching. If I bored you this morning, that's, that's, uh, that's your problem. I'm just talking about the eternal son of God here who's conquered all things that forgave you of all your sins. How could you get more with that? We lose sight of it, don't we? 
That's what happened. They lost sight of it. They had internal problems that were going on and they looked over there and thought how easy it'd be if I was just out of church and over there doing what I wanted to do and what I used to do is so much easier. That's not, the heat of persecution is not there. Hey, listen, you could go back. You could get out. But listen, if you'll get a fresh glimpse of who he is, God will help you to stay. They could be encouraged because in all their problems, he was there, present to help them, the glorious Son of God, who never changes. You may be here this morning and you're discouraged. I'm not minimizing your struggles. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay what, what you're facing here today, not at all. You could be disappointed. Things going on in your family, things going on in your own personal life. You've let other people down or somebody else has let you down. There's strife and tension at home. You're disillusioned. You can be disheartened. You can be desperate. You can be dispirited. You can be defeated. And I stopped with all those D words because I thought, man, that's enough. But you could be living right there. But what we need to do is do what the songwriter told us to do. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. The glory of the Son of God. Conducted a funeral yesterday, Miss Nora Coleman member of this church. She and Brother Jimmy were here, Brother Coleman. Dear saints of God, they moved to Texas. It had been a while since I'd been around the family, really, and kind of had forgotten them until I saw all the pictures and reminded. Family was there in tears, but I tell you what they, what they gave testimony of, many of them. Gave testimony of things like this. My greatest memory of mom was when she was there beside her bedside, knelt down praying, the Bible opened. She had an impact. You know what it was? The living Savior had an impact on her life. I'm praying that God would use this series in my own life. I, I need it. I would imagine you probably need it. And we just need to see Him in His glory. And obviously today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, friend, listen, He died in your place. Was buried and rose again. And is a living Savior. And is able to save anyone who would by faith call on Him, trusting what He did for your salvation. We invite you to come here in just a moment. We're going to have an invitation where there's going to be men here at the front, ladies, and they'll have a Bible, and they'll show you how you can trust Him to be your personal Savior. Would you get that settled today? But if you're a believer here today and you've grown spiritually cold, would you use this opportunity just to pray, God, would you help me to get a fresh glimpse of our Savior once again and to love Him more? Let's stand together here this morning. I appreciate your kind attention as we've started this new series, as we find our fulfillment in Christ. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for this dear church family. 
I thank you that, Lord, you've helped us to know Christ as Savior, but we do pray for someone here today that does not know you as Savior. I pray that you'd speak to their hearts even right now that they might be saved. I pray today for a believer that might be discouraged. I know that discouragement's real. We all face it. I just pray, God, that you'd help us to get our eyes back on you and see just that you and your glory can handle all these things. We can trust you. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, today in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.